Life is hard when you don't know who you are. It's harder when you don't know what you are. My love carries a death sentence. I was lost for years, searching while hiding, only to find that I belong to a world hidden from humans. I won't hide anymore. I will live the life I choose. This is episode 53 of Fatalists, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Dave, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing? What's going on, Dave? Second week in a row, we get to talk some Lost Girl, and, you know, a, a lot's happening with the show, and looking forward to trying to get back on a more regular schedule, which I think we're going to be able to do starting next week. Yeah, once, uh, once you clear out that... Uh that ridiculous revolution stuff, you know, then we, yeah. And boy, no, no telling how long they're going to take a hiatus this time. You know, it was almost four months in season one. So, yeah. So they didn't announce how long it was going to be, huh? No, not yet. Not yet. And, (laughs) and I guess they're still planning the NBC has the Olympics. So that should, that should really only be two weeks. So who knows? But yeah, the Olympics are in Japan, right? Or is it Russia? Russia? Russia. It's in Russia. Russia. You think think back to when we were kids and the Olympics was such a monumental event. I mean, you you know, we knew everything. We knew when it was going to be. We knew. And now I know nothing. Well, again, it goes back to when you had three stations and one of them was running the Olympics the whole time. Well, there's like at least a 33% chance that that was what you're going to watch like all the time. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately the thing about, well, I mean, it gets fortunately and unfortunately is that, you know, the Olympics are other parts of the world besides North America. So when they have the hockey games, it's kind of like hit and miss when you're going to actually, uh, catch the action. But I love the winter Olympics, you know, the winter Olympics are, are the absolute, they're the best. Yeah. No question. Um, now we're recording on Friday night, the, uh, 22nd of November, which is the eve of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary. And, you know, obviously Ooh. by the time, yeah, by the time this podcast gets out, though, uh, I would think most of the listeners that are interested will have already seen it. And, and I'm, I'm certainly glad, and we talked a little bit about this earlier today, is that it's going to simulcast so that it's going to air in the U.S. 2.50 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, they are going to rebroadcast it later in the evening, but I also noticed there, there are several good documentaries they're running tonight now again i'm sure they'll run them all weekend so i've got my dvr set for that for sure yeah the adventure in space and time is tonight right i think yes and there was another one as well i don't even remember what it was called but uh set it to record both of them but you know what we want to do tonight is before before we move on i feel okay i know i know we're trying to keep this around an hour but i realized that uh, this is our chance to talk about Night of the Doctor, that we should say at least a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen again, if you're a Doctor Who fan and you haven't seen it, and again, we don't even know if they're going to show it before the... I think they are. There's a little, like, half-hour, 20-minute uh, pre-show that right. uh, I think I heard that they're going to run uh, Night of the Doctor during that. Right, but but it's a six-minute uh, prequel that you know was released online, and I saw it, as I'm sure most people did, on YouTube, uh, and again, I don't even necessarily want to put out there any spoilers. And uh, but if you're a Doctor Who fan, it's it's definitely cool. It's definitely something you didn't expect. In fact, you know all the information out there turns out to have been disinformation. Uh, while technically 
true, not true in the grand scheme of things, not in the spirit of Doctor Who. Right. And uh, I actually just saw another kind of prequel trailer. Oh, I I saw that too. I'm sorry I did. Yeah. The, the one with like kind of like the, it looks like the start uh, of the time war there with the, the Daleks. Well, it just, re- it, referring to one of the previous Doctors that supposedly wasn't going to be in it, but whatever. Oh, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing, but whatever, okay. we'll let it go. All right. Well, anyway, uh, anything else you want on Doctor Who? Nope. Just uh, super excited. I can't wait, though, because I have to take my son to a birthday party tomorrow. And it's one of those where, like, it's a family that we know. So we're going to actually stay there, too, and hang out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, begging you out of it by saying, oh, I need to watch Doctor Who at 3 o'clock is, you know, probably not going to be a really good excuse. So okay. I'm going to have to wait till I get home from that. So I will not be able to watch it along with the rest of the world. Right. Now this is also a big weekend. I almost forgot. Uh, tonight is the premiere, as I understand it, of the second Hunger Games movie. Yes. Catching Fire. Yep. And our, of course, you don't do Facebook. Our colleague Diane tweeted from the theater. And, uh, <laughs> So I'm sure she's got her camera and tripod and audio sound gear ready to record a cam version so we can check it out on Monday. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, uh, I don't really go so. actually see that one. My kids uh, are big, uh, big Hunger Games fans, so we yeah, definitely. Well, you know I won't be seeing it I at know. the theater. I'll wait till the DVD. All right. Anyway, before we go too far, ordinarily we talk a lot about the shows we've been watching, but we want to just focus on one show tonight, and that is Almost Human, the uh, – cop show if you will sci-fi cop show that has debuted and it's had and i like the way they did it right they showed the pilot on sunday and then the second episode in its regular time slot the next day or right. the next evening and there was it was actually supposed to start like almost two weeks earlier i think was supposed to be the premiere um like i'm not sure why it didn't happen then so they pushed it back for two weeks and this is actually might this fact might come into play in our conversation later on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they bumped back the the premiere for two weeks, but then you know they gave it to you a one two Sunday Monday. That was actually that was really good, right? I don't know if it had anything to do with baseball or not, but I don't think so. Who knows? All right, Should but anyway, have. what you, uh, I'm liking the show, and I wasn't sure. In fact, you know, I took one of these online polls on one of the. Uh, genre tv websites and you know it's like you're super excited for almost human you're you know have no plans to watch it and and my response was i wasn't sure yet and you know i dvr'd it and i didn't watch it right away but you know i did see the pilot and, and to be honest i almost didn't keep going after the first 10 minutes because again it was just a big gunfight scene and i you know i guess as i get older i get less and less interested in in these long drawn out gunfights and car chases and all that you know, Dave, but, sometimes i don't know who you are i know but it got good in a hurry and and you know when uh, and again for the uh listeners that don't know the premise uh we're in 2048 and you know the bad guys have gotten so much firepower that the police are at a disadvantage which really is is kind of the case now it, it from a lot of what you read in the news and to combat that they pair each human officer with an android. And, 
you got to love, I mean, my favorite scene when I knew I was going to like the show was the scene when, you know, the, the cop that we're following, the, the main character who's been, you know, out of touch for a while. I He got injured in the line of duty, correct? Um, he got his leg blown off in the line of duty. Right. And, and then he uh, was in a coma for like 17 months. Right. So he's back now. He's got a prosthetic, you know, as you might imagine, in 2048. It's certainly, you know, much more sophisticated than prosthetics we have now. And he is reluctantly called back to duty. And when he's told he's got to have one of these android officers, he certain, certainly balks, but he's told that uh, he's going to do it. It's a deal breaker to not do it. And the scene when they're driving down the freeway and he just opens the door and pushes him out <laughs> was awesome. He gets a new partner who is an older, supposedly inferior version of the android. And, you know, we quickly fall in love with this new character. So I'll, I'll let you take over your thoughts at this point. Well, I I really, really, really liked Almost Human. I thought it was awesome. Um, I love. I, I feel bad saying I really liked that scene, but it was just really funny because, like, how many times are you in a car with someone who annoys you? And it's like, it's one of those things where like, like a car is a place you can't escape from. Right. Right. And if someone's pissing you off, the tension just mounts and mounts and mounts because there's no chance of cooling off. There's no chance to go to your own corner or anything. And so when the, the Android starts asking him like pointed questions and you just see, you know, I can't remember, uh, Kedix getting, getting more and more pissed. And like, then there's that pause and then, you know, he asks one more question. He just opens the door and throws him out. Like, how many people have, like, kind of not really wanted to do that per se, but, like, thought just, like, oh, man, like, this person's pissed me off. I just want to throw him out the door. And, like, oh, you know, yeah. he actually does it. That was kind of funny, though yeah. violent. Right. Now, my greatest fear is that it's just going to be a straight police procedural that happens to take place in 2048 and really doesn't take advantage of any uh, – you know, things that they can do, you know, with, with true sci-fi and, and looking at possibilities, answering, you know, what if questions. I mean, it certainly is exploring early on, you know, the, the ideas of prejudice. And in this case, it's, it's the human's prejudice against the androids. But that's not going to sustain me if that's well, all it is. I, it's not prejudice. I mean, that's, that's definitely part of it. Uh, but also part of it is what does it mean to be human to be sentient right like uh okay. uh michael ely who plays dorian who actually you know where michael ely's from no he's from silver spring maryland oh i just saw that on imdb so anyway um but he's awesome you know he's so great and and actually i was listening to the almost human podcast and they were at a, a conference call with jh wyman and joel a uh jj abrams sorry jh wyman jj abrams and um, I think J.H. Wyman said, you know, the, the thing about it is that, you know, Dorian is like more human than Kenix, the human, right? Yeah, sure. He's more sympathetic. Uh, he, you know, he can empathize with others much better. Um, so despite being, you know, a quote unquote machine, he is actually, um, you know, has you know, probably more humane than, than the actual human. And he does kind of that, you know, if I, if you prick me, do I not bleed kind of uh, speech? Uh, I can't remember which one, I guess the first one, you know, he's like saying, you know, I feel, you know, so we see that what, you know, what is it to be human? And then the second episode when they have to, um, you know, basically put down the, uh, 
the the android at the end of the second episode you can see it it really you know, he's like i want to be there for it you know um and it it is you know kind of touching and moving and and how that happens and you know you, you it is these questions about what what is life you know yeah and, and it's funny because you, i mean i think the reality is because the android he has to put down is, is the well i guess she's a I mean, she's not a prostitute per se, but she's. They're, they're a, sex bots, but yeah, they're they're sex bots. But she's, and, and, you know, she's an innocent, right? Like she absolutely. She didn't and, do and anything that's why wrong. That, right, and that's why that scene is so poignant. Right. When he has to do it, where he, he tells her she's going to go to a better place. You know, that's what he had. You know, when in his discussion about, uh, you know, how humans cope with death. So, and, and I think I'd be shocked if anybody that's watched the first two episodes isn't really drawn to the Android character. Yeah. Even more so than the human, but you know, like you said, it is about, gosh, they should have a show called being human. Yeah. It sounds like it would be a good idea. Yeah. Maybe sit around like three people. I think a yeah. good, good solid core of three. It works really well. Yeah. Um, Lily <laughs> Taylor is the, I guess she's the police captain of this precinct or unit or whatever it is. Joe lies when he cries. And, and, you know, I like her so much more now that she's older, you know? Yeah. I like her because she's, uh, she's, she's, you know, she's like my age. And so, you know, like I kind of grew up like with Lily Taylor and. Well, yeah, uh, I guess it was that she just played such offbeat and I like offbeat. I like quirky, but I don't know. And it's not her fault. I mean, you know, it's the part she was playing I just never really cared for them all that much, but here I really like her. I think she's great. Yeah, she's always got the. I mean, she's got. I, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put her down by saying she's got like this very unique look. Like she just, she's like a woman who's beautiful, but maybe not in like the standard traditional like model type way. She's sure, just sure. kind of has her own like you know. Just it's it's hard to define like what is about Lily Allen, but you know, she's just a, a woman who's maybe doesn't. You you wouldn't see on the on the Victoria's Secret cover, but is is really beautiful and like in a, in a way that is hard for me to describe. But and all the characters I thought she's played have kind of you know been on that. So she she's always kind of played. We were talking about this before, like kind of like you know the girl on the outside, the friend, you know, like um, only you know, she, I mean she's had her, her her fair share of lead roles, but you know I think really made her name is kind of like the the girl on the margins and stuff. Yeah, sure. But she's great uh, now, in this role, like as the, you know, as the, um, you know, as the, yeah, the, the, the boss. I guess she's a captain, you know? sure. Now, my one nitpick, um, and and I don't think this is their fault. What what I did found, uh, find out is that Art Effects, who does all of the CGI and, and just, I guess, all of the effects for Continuum is doing them for this show as well. But it's set in 2048. And except for the police cruiser that these guys drive around in, the cars all look, you know, surprisingly like cars in 2013. Um, yeah, so. I guess. You know, uh, I mean, that might be a little thing, and maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, you know, maybe. I guess the, the like the bodies, I guess, are pretty much the same. But you know, I mean, there there could be something on the inside. But yeah, you're right. I guess that's but, just a production choice. You're like you're saying, yeah. Even though it's you know 35 years in the future. Um, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're going to just kind of go with the idea that the cars haven't really, you know, yeah. at least their, their shape and look have not, 
changed that much in, in those thirty years. I do years. like the cruiser though, that matte black and yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Well, and so. then they got like the motorcycles that uh, people drive around. They're they're pretty sweet looking too. All right. So anything but, else? You well, want to it, say about? I was just with that is I think um, you know, and again with this interview with J. H. Wyman, he said that they're kind of going for a not a complete dystopian moody raining dark look all the time that that there is he says you want to keep it kind of like in fringe where you know there's there's hope and there's lightness and brightness to it and and love and and families and things like that it's not just this horrible dark awful future right you don't want it to look like blade runner exactly and that's what that's actually what what motivated uh, that response is someone that asked how how much Blade Runner had an impact on it, and and he was like, well, clearly it has an impact, you know, no question about it. But we kind of went the other way, and and I mean, it's not like a bright, cheery Candyland, but it's no. also not the the future that we see in Blade Runner, which is very, very dark and dismal, right? And or you know, RoboCop. I mean, it's I guess it's somewhere in between there, right? Or the it's, Matrix, and almost you can think of almost any dystopian future drama and it's probably going to have a very dark gloomy depressing setting okay all right well why don't we move on and do a little bit of news and i've got two items tonight and, and the first one i'm pretty excited about and uh that is that former Bright Light Pictures partner Stephen Hedges has pacted with Continuum creator and showrunner Simon Barry to launch a genre film and TV uh, production company called Reality Distortion Field. Now, the Vancouver-based production company is planning to develop original content for the global geek audience. All right, so Simon Barry lived and worked in Los Angeles for 15 years before finding success with Continuum, which surprisingly was his first uh, move into the Canadian TV market. And obviously now we have it on uh, Sci-Fi in America. He's going to work with Hedges to tap the Canadian and American creative talents to generate genre fare for North American and international markets. He says, the goal is to move forward on projects I've developed but also find creative talent in the sci-fi and horror genres. Become a brand that's associated with quality entertainment, Barry told The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, reality Distortion Field's looking to build on momentum in the scripted drama field with Continuum, which is obviously the Rachel Nichols time travel cop drama now in its third season uh, on Showcase in Canada. So, you know, it looks like they're really going to be going after the you know, as he says, the geek market. He also, in uh, you know, one of his other comments, mentioned about you know hitting the sci-fi fanboys, which is uh, obviously us. So, yeah. you know, so I mean, I'm certainly looking forward. I mean, obviously, right now we we've talked many times. We've got a plethora of genre television shows to to experience and. Yeah, you know, even some of them were able to be a little pickier than sometimes in the past. So this looks like it's just going to get better. All right, now, Arrow. It's, it's taken a season and a half, but Arrow's suit is going to get a bit of a redesign. And it should look pretty familiar for fans of the Green Arrow comic series. The CW series is going to introduce a domino mask to Arrow's ass-kicking outfit instead of that dark eye makeup he's been sporting since the series debuted. Uh, as the comic book fans know, the domino mask is a signature part of the Green Arrow's look, and it obviously makes sense that it would finally work its way into the series. But why now? 
Executive producer Andrew Kreisberg said the new look will be representative of Oliver's transformation from vigilante to hero as he takes on a different appearance for his new role in Sterling City. Uh, Conceptually, it was something we wanted to do because Oliver himself is evolving as the Arrow, sort of from Arrow to Green Arrow, and we wanted to see that progression in his costume as well. As Oliver is embracing being a hero, being a hero means stepping out of the dark and being more of a symbol, so he has to take steps to conceal his identity more. So I'm one episode behind on Arrow, so... I don't know if it's going to come up in this episode. You've seen it. Don't tell me. Right. Uh, but I just do want to say that, it, like, when we talked about it last week, and in the news you brought up the whole issue of the relationship between Felicity and Oliver and everything, and I just see it like, oh, no, oh, I got so much I want to say, but I can't say it. You know, like, it's just funny. Listener feedback. Yeah, baby. All right, so we have some listener feedback this week, Wayne, and it is from our good friend Sally, and it is a voicemail. And why don't we just take a listen to it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Back on. Hi, Dave and Wayne. It's Sally. It's great to have you guys back talking about Lost Girl. I wanted to send in a comment about your podcast for um, episode one of season four, In Memoriam. And my comment is about Kenzie's phone call to Lauren. And I want to respectfully submit to you that I think you may have missed the point of what her phone call was about. I don't think the implication was that Kenzie and Lauren actually are friends or close friends. Um, In her voicemail, Kenzie says, I know we haven't always been copacetic, but, and, you know, I think the implication there is that they hadn't had uh, a close relationship, but they had recently begun to have a bit of a thaw similar to what happened when Bo was around. Um, But for whatever reason, you know, they weren't close until recently. That's what I took from that. I also think that it was pretty um, possibly obvious that Kenzie wasn't, it was just a flimsy excuse to call Lauren to ask her what to wear. That's not why Kenzie was calling Lauren. And nobody knows where Lauren is. Kenzie doesn't know where Lauren is. And also, Lauren doesn't even have her phone. Kenzie doesn't necessarily know that. But I think that was just sort of the reaching out, um, you know, hoping against hope that she could contact someone, Kenzie that is, because she's lonely and she's in trouble. I think there is a part of her that is worried about where Lauren is. But, you know, the phone call wasn't really about what to wear. But I think the larger point of why the phone call and the voicemail to Lauren was in the episode at all was for a chance to the show and the writers to say to the viewers, clarify that in the season finale of episode three, Lauren did save Dyson and she did not behave uh, with bad motivations. And I'm not uh, saying that you guys are of this opinion but there is a segment of the Lost Girl audience or fan base that does believe that Lauren has bad motivations, even though I thought it was pretty obvious in the season finale that they do not, or that that she did not, and she did save Dyson and kind of saved everyone and engineered Taft's demise. Um, if you ever go to the Showcase blog and read comments, then you'll see that there 
are a lot of people that either miss that or are deliberately ignoring it. And I think this was um, the show's way of setting in stone and in canon and in saying to the viewers, you know, this character is not one who has bad motivations. All right. Well, looking forward to your podcast for episode two, um, because I'd like to hear what you guys thought of it. And maybe you can help me make some sense of it. Bye-bye. All right. Now, uh, Lauren's phone call. You know, I think at the time I maybe didn't give it, you know, as much thought as Sally did. And, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we didn't. Well, I shouldn't say this because uh, we've certainly uh, been shallow at times, but it, I, I thought we thought you, it was You're maybe, way more shallow than I am. But. I'm, I'm way more shallow than you are, absolutely. <laughs> um, in terms of, and, and, and again, I've tried to, you know, you, you, you broke your two-year rule on picking up shows, and I know for a time I broke my rule about looking at social media and forums before we record our podcast, and I've kind of tried to get back to my, my rule and, and stay away. Uh, it does surprise me that there are people that think Lauren's motivations are negative. I mean, I, I really never thought that. I mean, I thought she was only doing it for the good of the Fae and, and that she's now in hiding because of the risk she took. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I was very, and you know, as, as you know, and everyone basically knows is I, I really am pretty, um, pretty 20th century as far as my relationship with the internet and everything. But, um, so I had no clue at all that, that there were people who actually thought that Lauren was, had, you know, negative motivations. Yeah. That's crazy. Like how, how, what, what, I mean, what could you actually point to in any of the episodes that would serve as evidence for that? You know? Yeah. I, I don't see any. And, and, you know, I've looked at the showcase networks, I guess it's not really a forum. It's kind of like a message board where people are, you know, it's just going back and forth. And, and I think with a lot of, it's just people that want to poke the bear. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm going to have to go back. Yeah, I know. After uh, we record, uh, maybe tomorrow I'll go back and look at some of the comments. But um, anyway, thank you for that, Sally. And, and really all listeners, you know, keep them coming. We, you know, now that we're back talking Lost Girl, you know, in, in fact, Wayne, I did think that, once we got that voicemail from Sally this week, I guess we didn't convince her to come over to the zombie side because she didn't send us any voicemails about the zombie. Yeah, what's did. up with that, Sally? You're yeah. a zombieist. So I gotcha. I know where you. I know. I know. I know how she rolls. But uh, I just actually I wanted to say that. I mean, I, I I have to agree pretty much with with everything Sally said. Um, I can't remember actually what we said about the the phone call but i i don't think that it was like i just really i honestly think it was kind of like a they threw it in there to let the audience know a couple things one that lauren's still around uh and alive and two i I agree that i i don't think it was meant to show that uh lauren and and kenzie now are besties but that certainly the relationship is has changed and has I think thought is probably a pretty good word for it. I think maybe it's even more than that because for Kenzie to actually call Lauren and to be concerned about her is huge because that really hasn't happened at all so far. They've just had that, that one moment that when, uh, you know, when Kenzie was, you know, like the ninja girl that they kind of had a brief meeting of the minds, but really they, they've been kind of at odds with each other almost the whole series. So I think just the fact that she called her was kind of like a indication that there is some 
change in the relationship between the two of them. Right, uh, but at the time, neither had any memory of Bo. Right. So. Right. Exactly. And and, uh, and she says, you know, later on how you know, she's like my only other really human kind of contact or whatever. Like they, you know, like maybe they have kind of bonded over the fact that they're both humans trapped in this kind of fey world. But uh, but I don't, I don't think it was like a huge, huge part of the show or a huge plot point. But I think it was probably just mostly meant to just kind of show that, hey, Lauren, remember Lauren? Yeah, like she... No, like not not we're not writing off all of our main characters, just you right, know, right. just the star, right? Because we're not going to have Bo in the show. All right. Well, why don't you hit us with a little bit of Project X? And I, I know you got some good stuff for us tonight. Yeah, this this was a good week for Project X because I could actually find the things they were talking about. Let's talk first about the armillary spear, which is the thing that Trick is looking for early and the thing that nasty little Kenzie is going to go and pawn in order to get money to support her fey habit with Massimo. I assume it's Massimo. So the armillary spear is an actual thing. It's a model of the heavens. It's a mechanical model of the heavens where at first they had like, you know, the earth in the center of this and then brass rings kind of around it that you could move and change as, so before, basically before telescopes, this is the way they could predict the movement of the heavens and predict when certain stars would be uh, visible and everything, which I think is like super, super cool because uh, let's see. There, as far as the Western tradition, there this guy um, is credited with inventing one is uh, Erastanes, and he was from 276 to 194 BCE, and that is a lot earlier than I would think people would be able to make like mechanical models of the universe. So it's just you know sometimes ancient world just freaking astounds me. Oh, you see some of these shows that are on the History Channel. Yeah, oh, I agree. It, it's it, it's mind bending. Um, China actually potentially had one of these in the fourth century BCE by these guys Shi Shen and Gandhi. Um, and uh, so you know, I mean, so we're talking, you know, early days of the Roman Empire. They were still kind of you know just. Uh, I guess that's probably around the the just the beginning of the Republic. So you know the Romans were just Rome wasn't even really around, and uh, these guys are inventing freaking the universe, a machine that demonstrates the movement of the stars, and then can mechanically move around. Just just absolutely incredible. So, um, you know, I guess if Kenzie knew all that, she wouldn't be sneaking off with it like she is. I don't think. Or maybe she would. But it just shows you how far Kenzie's kind of fallen, how much of a junkie she is, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was a pretty important scene because, like you said, um, she has – I mean, look, look, we always know she's she's been, you know, on the edge. But, you know, I mean, we've, we've really never seen her on these crime sprees. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. She's stealing things left, right, and so We saw that last episode. We really didn't comment on that, I guess, now I think about it, but all the stuff that she was trying to steal from Trick, right? Yeah. Just to pay for the uh, fake cream. The smack. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about that more later, I guess. But uh, 
The other one, obviously, is Endymion and Selena. And this is a Greek myth that uh, you might have remembered from your youth uh, as in ancient Greece. <laughs> um, but uh, so Endymion was this uh, beautiful shepherd youth, and Selena was a titan goddess of the moon, and she falls in love with Endymion. And so she says, ask Zeus to put him into an eternal sleep, which Zeus does. Thereby um, turns into a very, obviously, one of the earliest recorded, complete dysfunctional relationships. And on top of that, also a apt metaphor for beauty, the persistence of beauty and the, the, the everlasting nature of art. Right. So John Keats, who um, kind of was a little kind of infatuated, I guess, with the idea of mortality. Um, you know, Keats died, I think he was like 24 when he died. And he kind of had this concept, uh, his at least his whole adult life, that he was going to die young. And so you could see it in his poetry that really um, mutability is this you know, overwhelming theme. Uh, so in the very beginning, Endymion is actually quite a long poem, but the, the first line is a very, very, very famous line. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness, but still will keep a bower quiet for us and a sleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. So, you know, like, like Keats was kind of obsessed with this idea of like something like Ode to Grecian Urn is the same thing where he kind of is thinking about how art can last forever. And that, you know, that, that, that youth is always chasing the girl on the Grecian Urn and he'll never catch her, but he'll always be in the thrall of the chase, which is like the, the, you know, the really the, the good part of it. Right. So with Endymion there though, the Endymion we see in Lost Girl is, is certainly not this, noble youth that uh, that keats pictured right oh no not even close yeah so selena did mention selena is the, the 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 moon goddess mom girl thing so yeah there you go project x all right done all right well we've got uh season four episode two sleeping beauty school all right so opening scene you got trick looking wistfully at a blood-stained photo of Bo. And wondering where she is, and that and yeah, that kind of sets the tone for the okay. whole show. At this point, I feel like I need to interject okay. because Freud would have a freaking field day with that scene. Okay, here he's got a picture of his granddaughter, right, with a low cut shirt on, and he's okay. wiping blood over her chest. Okay, he's your grandfather. Did I mention that? You did. So, yeah. my initial reaction is. WTF, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, I guess I that, didn't look that it, deep into it. Oh, I'm not I'm not a really deep person, Dave. And I'm just saying that I saw that and I'm like, that is messed up. Because like, you know, I mean, he could have been smearing blood anywhere, but there was like, he was, he wiped that blood right across her boobies. Okay. <laughs> I just think, I think that, I think that's kind of gross. All right. A well, little bit. Fortunately, then for you, it didn't last very Trick's long. Got, that scene. Got issues. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so then we see it, it, next. We see Dyson returning to the scene of the season three finale car crash, which okay, uh, you know we know from the 
season premiere, and Tamsin tells him in the car, and I don't think we saw this no. in the season three finale, did we? The, the, when she says, we all have to die sometime. Right. And you know, it's funny. Did you notice that in this scene, we don't see Tamsin? Right. That line's delivered, you know, off screen. Right. And and we see Dyson changing, shifting. shifting. Uh, and then we're back to the present. He hears something moving in the bush. And mini Tamsin is revealed. Yes. You know, this little feral mini version. Right. Now, interesting thing, you know, she's played by Ava Preston, who also played young Kenya in Defiance. And then, of course, the actress that plays Kenya in that show is Mia Kirshner, who's now playing Cleo in Lost Girl. Right. When did, so, when did they show young Kenya? I forget. I think when they gave some background on the uh, the two sisters. Weren't you, you know? doing a podcast on that show? Yeah. Was, <laughs> that was ages ago. I just so, called you out like that. Yeah, that was a long time ago. There's so many episodes in between now and then. So many things I've seen. All right. Well, we got a couple storylines going on. We, you know, certainly, I, I would think we'd call the A story that the search for the Endymion, and by extension, the search for Bo. We've got, uh, you know, the Una Men's Inquisition and Vex. Although we yeah. don't see that a lot, I, I do think the fact that we're, you know, shown it is is pretty important because we know what's going on then in you know the Fey community. We've got Tamsin's. I'll call it a regeneration. I mean, what else are we going to call it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, a lot of little side stories, mostly to do with uh, relationships. But, uh, you know, what? I, why don't we start with Lauren? You know, we don't see a lot of Lauren, but, you know, we, we, we do see well, some. more than th- we saw last episode. You're right. And, and I think it's pretty important. You know, we see her. She's working in the diner again. And, you know, she's. She tries to call Bo, you know, once she, you know, has, you know, has remembered and, and of course doesn't get an answer. And of course we know because uh, apparently Bo's cell phone is out of calling, di- calling range. Um, and, you know, she's working with Crystal and I mean, is there something to this Crystal and Amber, you know, the name thing? I don't I didn't spend too much time really thinking about it, but um, I think the most important thing we see is that. Crystal knows the truth, and by that I just simply mean that she knows that Lauren's lying about everything. You know, she tells her, you know, you've never worked a day in your life in a diner. You, you know, you've never been a waitress. She certainly right. knows that. Uh, but he does. But she doesn't press her. Uh, she comes on to her. She she clearly likes sure. Lauren. Yeah. And, and I think at this point, you know, Lauren's. I, look, I, I mean, she's certainly still in love with Bo and is not looking for any kind of a quick fling. But I think, you know, she's just probably too nervous about being found out, not, you know, not so much by Crystal. Um, right. Well, and I, 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 she's clearly nervous about the attention, like, like because she's, though, I guess, I guess they're still on their quote unquote break. Right. Right. Uh, but, um, but she's still like, obviously faithful to Bo, right? Absolutely. And, and so, um, is having trouble dealing with the, you know, I mean, how can you not be attracted to crystal first of all? Right. Sure. So, you know, that, that kind of 
tearing, you know, and, and here she is in the same situation that she was in with Bo, right? Where she had a girlfriend in a coma and a girl who she was extremely attracted to right. at the same time and very conflicted about that. Yeah. Right. And I, and, and I don't think it's as intense as it was with that early relationship with Bo, but I think still um, there is that, that, that same kind of dynamic going on there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's more maybe she feels flattered. I mean, I don't think. I mean, right from the start. I mean, the 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 sparks, you know, the, the you know the magnetism between the two of them, Bo and Lauren. That is, it was there from the beginning. You know, here I think she's certainly flattered that Crystal thinks she's attractive. But, but I think the most important thing is the customer starts choking. The Heimlich maneuver doesn't work, so she grabs the butcher knife and, oh, my God, <laughs> slices yeah. that guy's throat yeah. open. Uh, all right, so so my question here is, like, did she I, – I guess she was fairly certain he was that type of fay because normally uh, stabbing someone in the neck with a knife is going to pretty much kill him. <laughs> Well, I yeah. guess, I mean, I see, now I didn't think that. I, I guess I just assumed, okay, it's Dr. Lewis. She knows what she's doing. I mean, she, she uh, was, don't we know that she was in Afghanistan? Yeah, you know, so, right, so, right. But see, like, okay, the thing about doing the tracheotomy, trache, 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 tracheometry, trache, trache, whatever, that procedure is you just break the skin just a little bit and then you cut through the trachea. You do not take the knife and shove it all the way into their neck because then the knife goes through the trachea and everything else uh, in the neck and, and kills the person pretty much instantly. Okay. So you think she knew instinctively she or, or there was something. Have, but my God, she just stuck that knife right in that guy's throat. She's right. a doctor for crying out loud. Not yeah, and then it looked like chemist. something out of Alien, you know. The, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And then she ends up just picking out this little black bug or something it looked like. Well, I, I, I whatever he was choking on, I guess. Oh, okay. I assume, uh, but you know what? <laughs> you know, messed up. But and, and certainly, while that was important, Crystal filmed it on her cell phone. Right. Yeah, these kids today and their these, cell these, phones. Right. Which takes us back to the series. Not okay. We we've had this discussion. Oh yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. It's, uh, the, season one, the, episode the, one, right? Right. Season one, episode one. When Kenzie films Bo doing the cheese suck for yeah. the first time. So I think we uh, called it the the sucky kiss. Yeah, right? whatever we called it. At it the wasn't. Time. It wasn't so, the uh, cheese suck. That's that's not the name we made up, Dave. Right now, Crystal thinks it's alien, and obviously, Lauren wants to make sure that evidence is well. Erased. It is alien in the true sense meaning of the word alien, yes, which it, is yes, something is. strange and unusual. But yep. it is um, of this world, though. So, do we think it's really erased? Or does it matter? Um, that's a good question. I am reserving judgment on Crystal because I think she might be some kind of plot twist, or you know, like I think okay. there's probably something up with her. Okay, like this right. whole just because, like, not saying that Doctor Lauren's not a fetching specimen, but uh, you know. The, with the the red hair and everything, she's not looking quite as good as she has before. And Crystal's like coming on kind of strong. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just a little suspicious. And maybe Lauren is too, which is why part of why. Well, I mean, I think she's holding back mostly because of Bo, obviously. But, you know, part of her also maybe holding back just because she knows she has to be careful 
who she talks to and what she reveals. No, she just goes and blurts out her name, though. All right. Well, we've got the Una Men's Inquisition going on. And, you know, obviously what we see is them torturing Vex. I mean, there are times when we feel sorry for Vex, and this is definitely one of them. Mm, I'm not so sure. No. I, I like Vex, as has been well documented, but he's kind of becoming a bit of a jerk. So, like, I, I mean, I'm uncomfortable with torture scenes of any kind to anyone, even if someone who is a bad person, I'm still going to be uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, like, if anyone kind of deserves it at this point, uh, Vex is kind of deserves it a little bit. Well, definitely, I would say once we find out the whole picture about Vex in this episode, I definitely agree with you. I, right. I like, though, Trick's description, you know, that, that the interrogations have moved from the ashes to, you know, I, I assume they're up in the doll, right? Uh, that's what it sounds like. Tor- torture, death, you know, the huge. Um, but what they want to know is they want to know where the Morrigan is, and he tells them, look, as we suspected, she was in the wall, you know, behind the wall, in, in a, but she escaped. And of course, they don't believe him, and right. they're ready to kill him. And just kind of, I don't want to say a throwaway line because I don't believe it was a throwaway line, but but just kind of almost casually refers to him as the last mesmer. Right. Yeah, the last mesmer. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. That was crazy. So why would you kill the last of anything? Well, because. The Unimens clearly does not care. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and, and that's great. Now, Ever, the con man, he says, wait, you know, I've got something you want and we're wondering what it is, but, you know, he, he tells them that he'll give them the unaligned succubus accepted. You are released. Well, after I drop like part of my ear into your mouth. Yeah. Whatever the... Anyway, that was that's, pretty. That's gross. But did you did you catch like all the 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 masks that they had waiting? Yes, I did. Okay, yes. go ahead. I'll let you do this one. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. Are you, are you actually, if there's a, I, I think I got all the ones that they showed. But so we got the claimed human, right? Right. Which could be Kenzie. Which right. I would think. But then the next one is the human terrorist. And last episode. They said that Kenzie's now a terrorist, right? Right. So is that Kenzie? So who's the claimed human? Is the claimed human, or is Kenzie the claimed human and Lauren's the human terrorist, or vice yeah. versa? Yeah. But well, except then the next one is we have the human. Well, the fourth one is human doctor. Okay. So we definitely assume that's Lauren. Okay. You know, and then the unaligned succubus is yeah. is number three. So claimed yeah. human, human terrorist, unaligned succubus, and the human doctor. You know, I just would like to note. Well, and of course, the last mesmer as well, which is yeah. uh, with Vex. Right. Now, but it seems now, like like seventy five. Well, actually, if you say the the last mesmer, so that's five. So that's you know sixty percent of those are, are humans that they're targeting. I, I don't think that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, later in the episode, we see Vex on the phone and tells Cleo that he'll give her triple what they're paying, whoever they are. And then he says, "Of course, I can afford it." Um, but that Bo has to be alive and in one piece. So, uh, again, not exactly sure what he's, you know, what information he's giving them and what it's going to uh, lead to. But all right, Tamsin's yeah. regeneration. Yes. Now we we knew at the end of season three that that Tamsin was old for a Valkyrie, that she was you know 
near the end of her life. And I don't know that at that time we had any idea that a Valkyrie could regenerate. They, they, they didn't say anything about regeneration. Of course, they probably did in Doctor Who until like all of a sudden they're like, well, we got William Hartnell doesn't want to play the Doctor anymore. And we still want the series to go on. So right. what are we going to do? Right. So we've got some, you know, pretty funny scenes. You know, Minnie Tamsin's asking Kenzie about whether or not she has a boyfriend. She flushes Kenzie's fray cream compound down the toilet, which Kenzie didn't find funny. But, yeah, I thought it was rather humorous. Yeah. But- well, I thought, like, I, I, I thought it was pretty funny how, you know, Kenzie is kind of having to act like the adult responsible figure here, like the mom figure. Yeah. And, although uh, she although she would claim if you know with Bo that she's uh that she's the mom figure all the time anyway. Right, but she doesn't have like authority over Bo, right? She doesn't right. have to like discipline her and True. things like that or keep her entertained and stuff like that. So yeah. um so th- those are pretty funny, but not funny when she leaves the kid there to uh to take her stolen goods to go get her fey juice or cream. Yeah, be, yeah because we know no good's going to come of that. Right. Yeah. You're like, you're, really? You're going to leave her there all by yourself? Like, Well, but, you know, when you're a junkie, you're not making rational decisions, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, Tamsin finds the Wanderer card at Kenzie's and then picks it up and it bursts into flames. Right? Yeah. And, and then... Uh, you know, she says that she's MMXV, which we obviously know is 2015, but we don't know what the significance is, you know, until obviously at, near the end when Dyson figures that's the time the train leaves. Yeah, I'll admit I was a little concerned that, like, this, all this stuff wasn't going to get resolved until next year, like a, like two years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like I'm thinking— be, Wait for season—wait, uh, we're in season four. Right, season six, we'll, we'll yeah. clear everything up for you. Well, I'm thinking 2015, and, and I'm thinking, all right, I like the interdimensional plot twist that they've got going. I'm thinking like, okay, if this other dimension is perhaps in the future, that's even better. So, you know, I was okay with that if it turned out to be that. But she says, do you think Bo's stuck in the card? And that's kind of what we see at the end of season three, right? You know, that all of a sudden yes. Bo disappears right. and then... Yeah, you yeah, know, we're, we're, we're well ahead of that one. Yeah. All right, now, uh, Dyson comes, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Hale and Kenzie, right? Hale finally comes over, and they're, you know, making out after he professes his like for her. And then uh, <laughs> Tamsin, I like you. Oh, yeah. well played, Hale. Yeah. Tamsin screams, and we see she's aged, grown even more, and... I guess it's supposed to be funny that she's disgusted with the size of her breasts, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, the hair was just ridiculous. It reminded me of D. Snyder from, uh, yeah, you know, what was that band? I can't. Twisted Sister, man. No, thank I you. Okay. So, I don't know. Uh, and and then, like you said, then at the end, Kenzie leaves her unattended. So. I'm not sure where they're going with this. Uh, I guess, is this just all a plot device to get us back to having Tamsin at full strength? Um, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure like what it is, except that they, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't honestly know. It, it's, it's you know, I, a lot of, my opinions at this point are I'm kind of like reserving judgment for later because I'm just not sure where they're going with this. 
So yeah. later on, we could say, well, that was brilliantly done. And, oh, we really liked how they how they played that. Or later on, we'll be like, why the hell did they do that? It was so, that was ridiculous. <laughs> but it could be just like, I think for this episode, at least, uh, I don't think it really moved the plot along a whole big bunch, yeah. but was definitely there for the comic relief. All right, well, on, on to the, the, you know, the principal story, which is, at first, the search for Eddie, and by extension, the search for Bo. And, you know, we find out early on that, that Trick says, you know, the compass shows she's not in this plane, that she's in another plane of existence, and that there's only one Fae that can move between planes, and, you know, that's Eddie, apparently. Except not so much. Not so much. So, uh <laughs> You know, they so then it becomes the quest to track down Eddie, and they do that through uh, Celine. His uh, Celine's his wife, right? Or his? Uh, no, I'm sorry, his no. ex-wife. His ex-wife. Well, I don't know. Do they ever say it's a wife situation? Well, well they just say his ex. Yeah. Right? So, so uh, and she's got a sal- beauty salon, and you know, all sorts of bizarre stuff happens while they're there. Uh, you know, certainly the least of which is the. Some uh, people might say. All kinds of gratuitous stuff happens there. Yes, the uh, <laughs> were, were they green outfits? Uh, I think that all the they girls were, were wearing. They were white, weren't they? Nah, I don't think they were white. But uh, anyway, so they meet the Indian woman. I guess you know the, with no mouth, the, the Stomi. The Stomi, yeah. And she tells them that she erases memories, and, and they wanted them. Well, I wanted her to erase theirs, but she's going to help them, and. She says a few interesting things. The blonde one is frustrated, the other one too. You, and he's, she's referring to Dyson, you seek a hunter, and you seek the courage to hunt. And she's referring to Hale. So what's all that about? I mean, obviously I think, you know, Hale, Hale seeks the courage to hunt. You know, he seeks the courage to, you know, tell Kenzie how he really feels. Uh, you seek a hunter. I guess that refers to Bo, right? Um, we we probably we, uh, we certainly assume that right. But, but what, is she, what is she? What what is she hunting? I mean, no, I don't know. Yeah, okay. But and we then, just assume he's talking about Bo because that's we know that's what he's after. But but you know the the show certainly can you know go another direction with that. Right. The because, blonde, if they you know they they could I very well be setting us up to say oh he's not really seeking Bo he's seeking somebody else a hunter. Right. right. The blonde one is frustrated, which uh, would seem to indicate Tamsin. But anyway. Lots of blondes uh, in the show. Yeah, lots of blondes in the show. Um, Anyway, you know, know, just kind of to cut to the chase, uh, you know, Bo, I'm sorry, Dyson, you know, finally tracks down Eddie. and, And I guess he's been out of the game for so long that, it, it, it does seem as if he doesn't know what he's doing, and we learn that Cleo, who was an elemental, has basically taken on Eddie's gig as right. a interdimensional traveler, right? Yes, and uh, and apparently, which is why she approached Dyson in the first place, because for some reason she, she thought Dyson was honing in on her. yeah. And when she said that, I'm like, well, I think Dyson has been. We've, this is our fourth year with the show, so he's been there at least that long. So, like, all of a sudden now you're concerned that he's going to try and take over your business because he's a cop? Like, uh, I think he's been in that city for a long time, so like, yeah. not like a new occurrence. Right. 
But, uh, you know, obviously one of the questions that, that we have to, you know, consider, I mean, look, we know Bo is trapped in another dimension. You know, how did that happen? You're right. I mean, at the end of season three, she disappears and she's in the Wanderer card. So whether that's, you know, symbolic of her or that's the other dimension, you know, we're not exactly sure, right? I mean, at this point, we don't know how it happened that she got into the other dimension. Right. Well, I mean, we, we kind of know. Well, who? How? Because she... Her father? You know, yeah, but, but she was like, the black smoke came up and sucked her down, right? Or it took oh, her away or whatever. Okay. All right. So... So we, we don't know the exact, like, physics of it, but, you know... Right. Now, we do see... We see Bo, and, and I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes, when she's on this train that, you know... I, steam engine out of the 19th century apparently uh-huh. uh it, it's got the you know this this really orange kind of look to it well they were uh, using steam engines well into the 20th century there dave okay but it just had that older feel to it yeah absolutely okay, I mean, kind of old west type like right. the, the 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 girl whether she's like a servant or maid or whatever and she has on that kind of you know, almost like, is it like, what should we say? I wouldn't say French made because that suggests like a, you know, kind of a, a kinky kind of Halloween costume, but it was a, you know, traditional made black and white type, sure. uh, old timey type uh, costume on or uniform, right. I should say. Right. Now, I mean, we have to look at the whole idea of the train as a symbol. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly it's usually seen in a symbol of dreams uh, that, you know, something about a journey that the person that's, that's seeing, you know, so for Bo seeing herself on this train that she's going to have to make a journey. And I, and obviously this is not the first journey we've seen her make. Um, well, you know, per- I would just like to say that once again, Dr. Freud would have yeah, something but to there's say. No tu- there's no tunnel involved. There, is there? I think there was. Was there? It seemed like it was really dark when she jumped off the back at the end there. All right. Well, it, you know, it can also mean, you know, that, that it's an omen of change. And then uh, on a train can also indicate, you know, that if the train's moving, that you're moving in the right direction. So, or the know, wrong direction. See, they well, are moving from right to left, though. See, that's important in film. You was that, was that? that true? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, that's right. a thing. That's a, that, that really is. I, I that um, things moving from right to left because in like at least in the West we're used to you know our our lives go like left to right because we read from left to right yeah? sure sure so if you actually watch this like a lot of times your protagonists in movies are going to be moving from left to right and your antagonists will go from right to left so something that's kind of going against the grain or where it shouldn't be going it's going to be moving from the right to the left okay so you're saying the train. Yes. On screen was moving from right to left. Yes. Okay. All right. That that I'll go with that. This uh, she's on a journey. I think. But if not, then you can send us an email at. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So we see Dyson and Cleo, right? And they finally figure out they've got to have a ticket, and they just you know they figure out that the ticket is the burned wanderer card. They put it in the you know it looks like a fifties gas pump or something. Uh, they put it in there, and then they go stand out on a train track and wait for the train. And, and is this the same train Bo's on? I, I guess we're led to believe that, right? Yeah, or maybe it'll you know take them to the same hub or something like that. Well, and, and, and that's kind of the question because you know they stand out there, and just before the train's going to hit them, they disappear. I, I guess we're to assume 
that Dyson and Cleo have moved to another dimension. We don't know yes. if it's the same one that Bo was in. Right. Well, I mean, we assume it is because, you know, that's where Cleo wants to go, right? Oh, well, okay. But obviously then the last scene in the show, Bo jumps off the train. Right. And presumably into another dimension. We don't know if it's the dimension, you know, that we've been that we've been in for the first three seasons. But yeah, so I mean, it, we have, I have, you know, obviously no, I have zero theories, honestly, on like what she is jumping into. Well, I, I really hope it's a, an actual third dimension uh, because at this point they jump in, she jumps off. So yeah. or, or is it going to be one of these like little chase kind of scenes where they're always one step behind Bo? Uh, I think pretty much. Yeah. Well, I hope not. Yeah, like you're getting frustrated, man. Well, I I just don't. I, I mean, to what end? I mean, right. we we've got a lot of you know personal interrelationship dynamics that that we need to explore, and 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 I'd really like to see that. But you know, getting back to Bo, well, I, I mean, think we just need to explore having the star actually in the show. All right, come on, don't sound like me now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I, it's mean, just, I, I mean, I I, I was kind of with you last week but now it's like they've done it for a second week in a row like she is just barely in the show and like that is just crazy yeah and and the one thing just to divert for a second since you brought it up um you know like, what I, if, like I, all the family just said well we're gonna have a couple episodes archie bunker's not gonna be in well i you know i'd seen some things that, you know i i that i did read on the internet that people were pretty negative about the show and, and and a lot of the blame w- was being sent towards the the writers and i, I guess I, I tried to side with them because you know i, I don't want to use the word blame but i mean th- i mean the reason that we're in this situation is because obviously anna silk had a baby and apparently was not around for the beginning of filming so the writers are put into a situation where they've got to now adapt the storyline I think my question, and I know you agree with me, is why didn't the show's producers just push back filming a few weeks? Exactly. Listen, no one's saying Anna Silk doesn't have, you know, like, God bless her. Take the time you need to be with your baby, you know? Of course. Of course. But, like, to the producers, like, listen, all right, so you're on a schedule. Sure. But it's just like, hey, what are we going to do? It's our star. She gets her, you know, maternity leave like everyone else in the world gets. So... Let's just push it. What's two weeks going to do? Like you're making people in America wait till God knows when. So like, let's just bump it back two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever, you know, like I would rather put out a quality show that I want to put out rather than kind of come up with these gaps in in narrative to to try and deal with what's going on off screen. It's just, I don't know. Right. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, if if this continues into episode three, then, well, we'll deal with that when it comes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, let's not, uh, let's not jump off the deep end yet, um, the way Bo jumped off the train. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I do like that, though. I mean, I really do hope they, they play around with this. I mean, now, uh, you know, this interdimensional thing. I mean, I would love to see something like Bo – in another dimension 
with her father. I mean, come, again, how long are they going to drag out not telling us who her father is? Exactly. I like this is crazy. You know, like really, like all right, still, you're not going to tell us, right? And, and I, how, how many the, episodes did they play? Dion's the Wanderer last season, and then we're just wondering. Okay, and then finally we get to the last episode. All right, now we're going to find out who he is. Oh no, he's got his back turned. So okay, now we're back, and it's. You know, the next season. So for sure, we're going to find out now who her father is, right? Nope. Two episodes yep. in, still no deal. Right. Now, speaking of her father, you know, we learned that, like, at the end of, I, I, I'm not sure if that was the final scene. I don't think it was the final scene last week, but where it looks like Aoife is pl- going to plunge a knife into Trick. Yeah. You may as well get out of that one, eh? Right. And then it's like, oh, no, uh, you know. The Blood King managed to fend off, and, and apparently he, I I guess, wounded her, you know, in some way. But she's yeah. apparently back to crazy town. Yeah, but like, yeah, like rightfully so, concerned about Trick because Ifa, who she looked, is she was pretty mad, crazy vengeance, pulls a huge knife, and Trick looks like is in, in a rough spot, and all of a sudden he's like okay and not only okay somehow he wounded her and i think this falls under the category of deus ex machina maybe we could call it they you know i mean it's just like so contrived like like there's not even like they only really explain like ah just now i got out of that scrape you know like there's like this big cliffhanger and all the tension in that and then it's just like no, I, I just got out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, all right. So obviously don't get excited about cliffhangers on Lost Girl. All right. Uh, now, a couple of relationship things. Uh, Dyson, I mean, are you are you feeling good about his profession of love for Bo? I mean. Uh, I uh, gave it a solid meh. <laughs> okay. I mean, I know you've, you've been pretty hard on Dyson throughout the uh, three seasons we've been podcasting here. And uh, – you know, I guess I've been kind of on Team Dyson. You know, I like him. I don't love him. Uh, I certainly don't hate him, and I'm certainly okay with him. You know, stepping forward and saying, you know, I want to save the woman I love, and I, I, he does acknowledge that he knows she doesn't love him, or, or certainly not in the way that she loves Lauren. But unlike Hale, he's willing to fight for her. So yeah. how do you not like that? No, don't I I never said that I don't like Dyson. I well, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean you personally. I, I like the I like the character a whole lot. I think he's a great character. I just I like whenever he has these professions of love is when I tend to think, uh okay. I'm not so sure about yeah. like it seems to like, all right, not that he can't love and he can't be involved in a relationship and everything. I'm not saying that. It's just, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what it is. Well, I think it's also for me, and and maybe this is what you're trying to articulate, is that I don't want the show to evolve into all of this, you know, uh, relationship stuff. Right. Well, you should, wait, you're saying that? I know. know. See, I just want, just just, just give me the little one. I don't don't need the whole thing. Right. Um, All right. But speaking of relationships, I'm sorry, you know, we've been waiting for it, and now that we've got it, I'm like, eh, and that is Kenzie and Hale. 
Uh, no, it, it, I'm not feeling that one. Yeah. And I'm not sure if she was. I mean, you know, they kind of start making out, and he's being a little tentative, and she's kind of being aggressive. And, of course, uh, little Tamsin interrupts them. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just something that unseemly is not the right word because it's not quite that bad. But it's just something that doesn't work for me with those two. Well, again, I've always kind of thought, like, you know, and we've kind of been talking about it since season one that, um, you know, that, that uh, a Hale Kenzie hookup wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be so bad. I know uh, that. And now that it's but, here. Uh, but it just seems like and it's the same thing with like Dyson. It just seems like, I don't know. Like it just, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just something about the way it, it's, it's rolling out that it just, seems awkward well i know i mean when when it was Bo and dyson kind of like friends with benefits i thought it was pretty cool i mean they were pretty hot together yes um and then you know then she falls in love with lauren and you know now uh, you know i'm not sure i mean uh, and that's fine i mean you know Bo and Bo and lauren i mean you know i mean i I like lauren okay you know just you know as a character um Hale, you know, it's almost, I wonder whether Kenzie, it's it's almost like, can Kenzie love? I mean, she has Nate. I mean. Yeah, but that that was the worst. I know, you never liked Nate. Um, but I, I guess I thought, okay, she's she's got a nice guy. I mean, I guess part of the problem was. I, I love she, Nate when he's on Warehouse 13. Okay, well, I mean, I guess the biggest problem was she couldn't bring Nate into the Fey world. Well. Here's the problem, I think, is just for some reason or another, relationships, they they just can't pull off successful relationships on Lost Girl. I don't know why. Yeah. I just, no matter who it is, it just seems so awkward and goofy when they try to present two people in a relationship. And I'm not exactly sure why, because it's a, you, can you blame the writers? No, because it's a different writer each episode, right? So it's it's not like, and it's you know. So is it the actors? Well, no, it's not the actors because you know they're just saying the lines the writers give them. But yeah, I don't know. Right, I but just, to go back I just to can't the, really put my finger on it, honestly. But well, for to go some back to the reason, writer thing, I mean, I mean, I think virtually every show uses different writers for every episode. So I don't think sure. that's that's unusual. So I think you do kind of have to go back to the writers. Uh, I was just trying to not I, play I that. know, but I... I, well, <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say to, to like make it well, seem like they're not totally at fault. But well, maybe they kind of are a little bit. Again, I think it's... I understand a show in its first season trying to find its footing. But we're in our fourth season. And I guess, you know, my problem so far two episodes in is you know i i feel like we're kind of spinning our wheels we're kind of running in quicksand uh that I, I i'm not sure where we're headed and that yeah you know all of these little ancillary uh ancillary stories like you know kenzie and hale you, you know down the road right now we need to be you know spending time with bo's story and you know this other dimension and okay fine Anna Silk's still on maternity leave. She's, you know, can only be back to film, you know, very brief scenes. Fine. Well, then focus on Dyson and Cleo in this other dimension because clearly yeah. that's where they are now. Right. 
So I don't know. I don't and know. I, I said I just I, I'm not sure, but yeah, you know, like I know, like part of the problem is is that, and I've said this before, is that they just went to that well too quickly. I think that they went to the people hooking up, people having feelings for each other, like right away, like with Bo and Dyson, and it, and and with then with Bo and Lauren, like right after that, it was just like it seemed like too quickly. Now with Hale and Kenzie, I thought, okay, this one has potential because they're doing the slow burn, you know, and everything, but then. Just the whole "I like you" speech, everything. Just like, really, and then like they almost are doing it right, and then you know, like Tamsin screams, and then later on, Dyson is says to uh, to Kenzie, you know, Hale's gonna tell you something. You need to listen. And it's like, uh, okay, I was listening when he almost was having sex with me. Was that, was that have anything to do with what he wants to say? You know, but she doesn't say anything. So it's just like. There's just gaps. Well, he's going to tell her he loves her in season eight, I believe. (laughs) So uh, I don't know. No, 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 I'm I'm with you. Um, And again, it's, we'll, uh, we understand the limitations they've been placed, you know, under with, uh, you know, Anna Silk's, you know, apparent inavailability, unavailability. Yeah, and and again, the the costuming they have her in would seem to suggest that they're you know like they have the nightgown with the veil, right? That that you know it seems like they're they're clear. and again it's, that's let her stay with her kids. I believe I, I know I went through not that I went through my wife went through this um, four times and it is freaking difficult. Uh, when you have an infant and the, one of the hardest things is going back to work and especially like the, the infant is so needy, it needs you for everything. And, uh, you know, freaking let her have her time, man. Like I right. can wait. Just right. Right. You know? A- okay. And, and, and I think we're obviously winding down here, but it, it's like, that's fine. And okay. Let's say for sake of argument, for whatever reason, you couldn't delay filming. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Rachel Scarston didn't have a baby, nor yeah. did nor did Zoe Palmer. Right. So, you know, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, like I said, I, I am still going to reserve judgment. Yes. And say that you know that in the long run, this will kind of make sense. Okay. Um, or there'll be a reason for this as far as the larger, you know, um, story arc goes. Right. But I um, mean, it's like the analogy, you know, that gets used in sports. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but yeah, again, in a 13 episode season, uh, yeah. you know, it's more like a, yeah, it's, not, uh, it's like it's a, more 5K. like a half mile, maybe, you know, where you're 5k we'll give it. Okay. But, but yeah, I, I agree. And, and you had said the other day, like. Um, you know, like, so are you like not play your starting quarterback for the first two games of the season? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. All right. Well, we won't belabor that point. Um, yeah. I don't know. You gotta... are, some would say we already have Dave. Yes. So, uh, all right. Anyway, you got anything else? I do. One okay. thing that I should go under the really, really thing is, did you notice the disappearing and reappearing cigarette in uh, Cleo's ear? I did not. Okay. So 
they're just like I, I started noticing it like right at first when she she's got the hat on and she's talking to Hale. Yeah, she's talking to Hale. And she puts his hat on and she's got a cigarette tucked under her ear, which I think, well, that's unusual. You don't really see people walking around cigarettes behind their ear anymore. Um, and then, so then there'll be like some scenes where it's there. And the next thing, it's not. Well, that must so, be why they fired the continuity supervisor. Yeah. Well, it gets really, really bad though. Okay. So, um, all right. So, so Cleo, when, when Vex calls Cleo, right? It seems like the cigarette almost is like her communication device or something. I don't know, because she's kind of like pushing against it or pushing against her ear. And so she says, she says, all right, Vex, we have a deal. Okay. Now, when Dyson approaches her and they show her, cigarette's gone. Okay. okay. Now, when they go to get on the tracks, it's back. And this is all in like, I mean, obviously there's three, there's a couple of editing cuts there. But like, it was that was just brutal, brutal, brutal continuity. Yeah, go back and check it out. Check okay. it out. That that thing is like every other scene. It's there, and then it's not, and then it's there, and it's not. I was just like, for some reason, I just couldn't let that one go. I just was like focused on. It. Like, I watched it the second time. Like there, I knew I wasn't going crazy. Look, it's there. Then the, the next edit, it's gone. Then the next edit, it's back. Then the next edit. It's gone again. Like, what, are you freaking kidding me? Well, no. I think it's she's probably – it's like she doesn't have control as she slips back and forth between dimensions. Oh, that could be. Or it could be just bad okay. continuity. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Um, well, I guess that'll do it for episode two. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. One more thing. Also, All right. I forgot to say. Um, so when uh, – uh, Crystal and Lauren are kind of like they're in the diner and they're facing each other. Did you catch the sign that was between them? No. It uh, said uh, cherry pie on it. So I'm wondering if like the uh, the, the production team are like warrant fans. Uh, okay. Well, at least you didn't start singing that. She's my cherry pie. All right. Yeah, actually. That's, that's really I all I remember. I think there was some actress that was actually in that video, you know, before she became it, but I don't remember. All right. Anyway. No, right. I don't know. Actually, you want me to look it up for you real quick? No, I don't. All <laughs> right. So uh, drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the website, fatalist.podbean.com, where you can also leave us a voicemail. Uh, you can click the green tab at the right side of the page and leave us, you know, that message via our speak pipe software. Uh, we're on Facebook. You get the occasional tweet. And please continue to access us through iTunes. And hopefully we'll get back on a uh, tighter schedule. I think we're going to be able to do that and hopefully get the, the next episode up a few days sooner than this one. But well, we've done actually two in two weeks in a row here. Yeah, yeah. but That's, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, but hopefully we'll be able to record on Wednesday instead of Friday. But, we'll, you know, we'll see how yeah. it goes. We'll see. So, until next time. Dave, no good apology include the words if and but. Well, but...